I think that a lot of the fat activists, especially the ones who have any amount of visibility online, um, I do think that there's like an added pressure that I think people put on themselves to always project this image of strength and, you know, achieving this optimum idea of what body positivity or fat positivity is. But I think that it's really humanizing when we can say, no, I've had a fucking shit day. It gets better cause it has to get better. You are listening to the Made of Human podcast. I am your host, Sophie Hagen, and um, I'm going to make the intro and outro as short as I possibly can um, because it's a long episode. I was considering doing it in a two-parter, but I feel like you need the whole thing and do stick it out because it ends up in a place uh, I did not expect it to end up in, a place I'm very grateful that we did end up in because it gave me quite a lot as a human being to talk about with someone. Please, please, please go and check the trigger warnings for this episode. Um, it gets quite dark and you want to be prepared for what we will talk about. Now that goes for all of the episodes, by the way. Always read the trigger warnings. Um, and if you have any specific triggers, try and um, tweet me to make sure... if. So I can tell you if we talk about it or not. But with um, with Kobe, I, I very rarely do the in, I very rarely record the intros straight after the guest has left. But that's what I'm doing right now. I'm uh, eating Tim Tams because Kobe brought Tim Tams, which I think is a, it's an Australian thing, like a cookie thing. She also brought me milk, uh, which sets her apart from the other Melbourne guest I've had, who also brought me Tim Tams. I'm really enjoying this uh, new concept of guests bringing me local treats. I'm all on board with that. But Kobe literally just left my hotel room and I thought that I would do the intro now. Um, so by the time you listen to this, it'll be... I could be months after we actually did the recording, but I felt like it was... I felt like I needed to do it now so that I would remember to tell you to do read the trigger warnings. Um, and... I stand by the length of the episode and um, it's quite an episode. I'm, I think I have had my doubts about whether or not I went about the conversation correctly. Uh, Kobe has full, um, full control over the episode. So if she, I'm, I'm recording this now, but she could between now and when I release it, tell me to edit out some of the stuff. But, just so you know, she has the option. Like, I'm not going to, you know, if if you're listening, everything she says in this episode, she has consented to you hearing. And, um, yeah, so if if I went about it wrong, I hope and hope and hope that she would, she would have told me. Uh, I think I just got a bit nosy or a bit um, curious, and I asked a lot of quite intrusive questions, but uh, I hope that that was okay. Uh, you know, you sometimes forget that other people's boundaries are not the same as yours. But I I hope it's all okay. I think I'm just second-guessing it a bit because it was almost too good to be true that uh, that Kobe was able to and, and willing to open up like that and give us all a, a gift, I guess, uh, to let us into her, her wonderful mind. So I'm going to let you listen to the episode like almost immediately. Um, just a quick, I'm going to do live episodes 
and um, ticket links and everything I will put on madeofhumanpodcast.com, which is a website you can just go and check out, sign up for the newsletter, figure out all the other ways you can get engaged with the podcast. I'm not going to list all of them right now. But um, yeah, go and do that. But um, until then, <laughs> um, do enjoy this episode with the extraordinary person that I now feel like I'm going to call a friend, um, Kobe J. It's going to be an interesting one because I actually, I don't know a lot about you because you're not, you know, sometimes I'll have guests who, you know, have done like so many, you can just kind of look at their names and all the interviews will say yes. <laughs> They but basically I, have Wikipedia pages. No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for people who might not know who you are, do you mm-hmm. want to do like a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Kobe J and um, I'm a fat activist and a plus size style blogger, like a personal style blogger. Um, I know people are a bit iffy about the word plus size and we can talk about that if you want to. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I guess in the real world, I am a web designer, web developer. Um, I'm also hoping well not hoping i'm in the process of starting my own fat clothing range um which will be coming out in the middle of this year so i'm hoping that you know one day i won't be a web designer web developer i'll be ceo of a fat positive clothing company making um, you the hero of so many people oh my (laughs) well making me the hero of myself which is really the goal you know yeah well you know just um <laughs> segue. Um, so I've always sort of been into fashion and stuff, but always felt like excluded from the sphere of fashion. And then once I started dipping my toes in, I realized that, you know, we had so limited options. And so I just kind of wanted to make something for myself. And it's tough because I have sort of business advisors, quote unquote, who are like, oh, make sure that, you know, what you're going to create is going to sell. And I'm like, well, I get that that's fiscally responsible but I'm sort of more interested in making what I want to wear and I, I get enough feedback online that says that other people want that too so yeah I feel I'm just like gonna follow my a, heart yeah yeah I don't I think as someone who shops like fat clothes it's it always sells out pretty quickly yeah <laughs> like yeah exactly. I feel like there's definitely a I feel like there's a market for that oh for sure yeah, yeah. But it's, I guess, because, you know, I like wearing loud things. And so it's kind of that line between people saying, oh, I love what you wear and I wish I could wear that. And them actually, like, buying it, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I guess that's a line I'm about to explore. That's exciting. So do you think, well, within fat activism, so the fat, fat shin, mm-hmm. it's a big part of it, isn't it? Or, like it, or is it just the most loud part of it or... Um, fat activism within fashion. With the, oh, like yeah, with like fashion and stuff, like fat bloggers and uh, plus size clothing. Or maybe it's just like my no. Well, I, I I feel <laughs> that way too. But I mean, I'm sure that there's people out there who you know don't necessarily want that to be an intersection. But well, that, I think that's what I'm. Th- so I think that's my th- my thought is this. I think my mm-hmm. thought is that I think it's easy to dismiss. But I think it's really important. I don't think it should be dismissed. I don't think it's absolutely just fashion or just totally. clothing. I think it's, and I've, I've realized because I'm writing, uh, I'm writing a book about fatness at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and um, can I pre-order? Where is it? <laughs> it's coming out in uh, spring nineteen. Uh, Amazing. I'll send you one. Um, but I realized when I read through one of the chapters that clothing in itself, I skipped over. It was like a page about clothing. And I was like, why did I do that? And I think I did it because I thought, 
oh, it'll seem like it's not important. Yeah. And since then, I've just been thinking quite a lot about how yeah. it is important. Definitely. I think it's really interesting because a lot of, of, of us, of fat, fat activists, we're all trying to say, like, you know, my body is just my body and I shouldn't be judged for my body and I'm so much more than my body, like, blah, 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 trying to sort of um, move beyond the territory of being judged by our appearance. But then at the same time, people like me are like, I fucking love cute dresses and I want to dye my hair green and it is about appearance and so I think that you know there is an interesting intersection where like fashion and politics come into play and I think that every fat person is engaging in a political sphere every time they walk outside their front door whether they want to or not mm, yeah and that's it's shitty and unfortunate but yeah exactly it's shitty that we're made to feel that way but I really you know as soon as I sort of started pulling that apart and looking into it I found an like empowerment in it and I wanted to play with that more and yeah so that's kind of where I started jumping into the the plus yeah like my introduction to fat activism was through plus fashion as as activism yeah so where were you before that like where did you start out when you started I guess childhood or teenage years when you Mm -hmm. yeah I guess when you developed into being a human Where did you start out with feeling feelings about yourself and your body and all of these things? I think I have the pretty traditional story, you know, growing up, like hating myself, always being like the fattest person in my friendship group, you know, always being external to like all of the, you know, girls with the cute clothes and being able to swap clothes. Oh, yeah. Like I haven't been able, like the first time I did that was maybe about five years ago when I first moved to Melbourne and got involved in the plus fashion scene. And just that feeling of like swapping oh clothes God. or borrowing someone else's clothes or staying at their house overnight and like having a shirt to sleep in and you know yeah. it's just like oh the, the and the opposite was when when your like non-fat friends would go oh you can just borrow this and you kind of had to oh. you've had to put it into words you had to say i can't fit into it and they'd go yeah. oh no, of course you can yeah and yeah, yeah, you yeah try and yes. you'd go, oh <laughs> i just i hated these people for making me do it like just seriously seriously or um, you know, going shopping with them, and they'll be buying like, a lot of hats and, and uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I'll be in the fat girl section, <laughs> aka accessories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to be so scared of that stuff, like always trying to like you know downplay it, and I'm sure we all were. And yeah, I think it was, it's quite. But the thing is, we probably didn't know that that was how everyone felt. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and was, I don't think I even really wanted to engage with other fat people. I think I felt like a. It was like internalized fat phobia, and you're just like, oh, and no, I'm, you almost didn't want to. Um, like, I remember there was a, a fat girl in my class, and it's like one of those, you know, that like one of those, like, I think about it maybe once a month and get like sh- shame shut up, like, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. Because <laughs> it was such a horrible thing for me to do. But I remember she wanted to sit next to me on the bus on like a school trip, and I was so scared of oh, what people were going to say. Yeah. Like, oh, it's almost like, well, what it is, it's unapologetic mm-hmm. to me two fat girls just hanging out. And I really liked her. So I was just like, no, 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 I'm, no, I can't sit next to you. And she got so sad. Oh. But I just remember that like, yeah. panicky feeling of, yeah. no, 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 because no, then maybe they'll realize that I'm fat. And like, they'll totally. And they'll talk about it. And totally. it's so shit. Like, because that's our family is like other fat people of now. Course. And you just really want to. I feel like I'm talking way too much. and just like someone who gets me. No, no, totally. <laughs> I feel the same way. I knew as soon as I saw you. Backstory. I already mentioned Sophie, but I actually didn't know who she was until a couple of weeks ago. And I saw her on a comedy channel roast. And I was just like, 
fuck me dead. This chick is amazing. <laughs> so I just stalked her like crazy. And I guess now we're friends. Yeah, we're friends. I'm just calling you a friend. Yeah, you want to be a friend Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I, you were recommended to me by the listeners. And I had the same thing That's of like, amazing. I didn't really know who you were. And then I, which is fair. <laughs> so I'm it's nobody. Only the, in, well, it's only the past couple of weeks we've uh, like known about each other, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It was written in the stars. Oh, this is yeah. Was, yeah. Um, um, oh, yeah. So talk about the word plus size. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm, sh- I'm sure that most of your listeners know about all the controversy around getting rid of the term plus size and not necessarily. Not necessarily. I'm not even sure. I'm, I mean, Okay, I think I think it started a couple of years ago, and to be honest, I think it was embarrassingly an Australian plus size in quotes model. Um, you know, she's maybe like a size twelve, very hourglass. Yeah. yeah, you know, all the privilege in the world. Um, and so she was talking about how you know she just wants to drop the plus because she doesn't want to be known as a plus size model. Mm. She wants to be just a model. And I get that. And I think in a perfect world, we could get rid of the term plus size and it wouldn't make any difference. But we are really fucking far from a perfect world. And that term has a lot of value and importance to actually plus size people who are trying to navigate their way through the world. So it's like there wasn't there a clothing brand. Oh, God, I cringe just by thinking about it. Wasn't there a clothing brand that wanted to remove the site, like the numbers? So instead, you were either a size amazing or a oh, size voluptuous yes. or a size beautiful. Yes. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. I think life. there are still some indie designers that have their own like terms for different sizes, which just... It's, a, it's like when, was it Jennifer Lawrence who, uh, surprise, fucked up and uh, <laughs> said that we shouldn't, you shouldn't, it should be illegal to call people fat. Yes. Completely yeah. missing totally. the entire point. But this is the thing. I think the point is so often missed. Like, you know, all of your, your stuff about the camp, uh, cancer council, oh, all yeah. of your stuff about the cancer council and all of the people kind of rebutting that. And it's like, the point is just so far missed. Yeah. I think the point has never actually entered their stratosphere of thought. Mm. And that's the thing that like, you know, it's all kind of been so co-opted, you know, like people Mm. think they understand what body positivity is these days. And it's like been co-opted and turned into something that's not what it is. And you're kind of already meeting people at a place where they have accepted as a fact Mm. that fatness is bad. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to go before we can even talk about this, before we can even totally start open before we can do anything we need to take one big step back Mm -hmm. and say everything you've been taught your entire life is wrong exactly and you have to acknowledge and and people can't do that because i'd say probably every person in the world more or less uh are engaging in diet culture and absolutely you know so if you have to say someone at the age of 40 you have to acknowledge that you've spent your whole life believing a lie yeah totally and then you have only so you can go so all of this have now uh, completely dissolved your entire worldview. Yeah. So that's what my tweet meant. Yes. <laughs> it's too much. Oh, how to... affronting. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So you embrace plus size, the term. Yes. Yeah. Good Good job bringing it back full circle. I would have kept on <laughs> tangenting then. Um, yeah. I'm okay with the tangents. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I embrace plus size. I think that in the instance of that model, I think that it was really shitty of her to reject the term because... Um, fitting into the plus size category is actually the only way she gets work in the industry. And like that in itself is a whole 
problem but i think she has to acknowledge that but then it kind of caught on like wildfire and now people are all like i don't like the term plus size and it's like well you know if i could walk into every store or like go onto every website and know that every dress was going to be available in my size there would be no need for it but until that point like i'm not going to be siphoning through you know virtual or irl clothing racks looking for something that is in my size when there could very clearly just be a label saying you're welcome here or you're not (laughs) i remember the first time i came across it was a shirt and the label said uh, one size fits all. Oh. And I remember like the ha- like my s- ridiculous little child brain being like, oh, yay, the heavens parted. <laughs> oh, my oh. God. And then I'm trying it on and being like, oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no, that's not a thing. <laughs> yes. And, and all my friends being like, oh, my God, it's so stretchy. Like, totally. Oh, shut up. Totally. And but like even terms like that one size fits all is like so othering to fatness oh in God. and of itself. It's like uh, calling makeup like a beige makeup skin color. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, oh I, like even that was something I only realized a few years ago. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. It's so much. It's happening so much. Yeah. Those penny drop moments. Are yeah. So classic. And- Do you remember? So how did you get into? So how did you basically? And I'm going to not say the word journey. But. <laughs> From hating yourself, uh huh, and then on this um, trip. <laughs> so not like Falls how out of the story. How do you learn? How do you learn to love yourself? <laughs> I think is what I'm asking. Oh goodness me! Um, like how did what happened? To, yeah, to so uh, this isn't like a blueprint for anyone else, but um, I guess I was working in a really shitty job and I had a lot of spare time and I was basically just I didn't even know what a blog was at that time like I knew what life journal was and all those things but I didn't really understand the purpose of it I was like people just write a diary online um but I came across Jess Baker of the Milton oh, yes. Baker yeah like oh way God. way way back in the day before she kind of exploded if and anyone doesn't know Jess Baker like look her up read her book honestly yeah get involved yeah and so, yeah, I just started reading her articles and just kind of the the insights and the like truth bombs and also the passion that she had led me to finding other people, you know, Virgie Tovar and Ugh. Reagan Chastain and Marilyn Wan and all of the greats, like all of the classics. Um, Do you remember the, f- the first time or the feeling of, I was talking from the a point of view where I remember seeing the first f- fat person in like a positive photo yes like where she was just i don't even I, oh god i try to find that photo so often and she was just sitting like legs crossed but like standing up but leaning up against a chair she had this big um woolen knitted sweater and then only underwear oh, but so she was kind hot. of showing off a shoulder and a bit of a stomach oh, and, that and had these big thick thighs and my like i remember <laughs> it so clearly because i was just like Wait, I find her attractive, but she looks like me. (laughs) How can those two thoughts work? How can that be the same thought? Totally. Do you remember the same, the feeling of... Um, I remember seeing, and this is probably even prior to my bad receptionist days that I'm talking about, but I remember I used to be a really big Amanda Palmer fan, or the the Dresden Dolls, specifically the Dresden Dolls. And I remember Amanda Palmer on some social media platform shared an image of a femme who was um i think she was also maybe sitting cross-legged in her underwear and she was just 
eating cheeseburgers and oh, surrounded nice. by cheeseburgers. And I think it was a collection, like a series of photos. But um, I know I found her again over the years. And looking back, like she's not super fat, you know, but I guess it was just that kind of like, you know, you're considered fat in the world and you're also just kind of flying in the face of what fat people are and aren't allowed to do. Oh my God, and yeah. she looked beautiful, but she was also just like, fuck you like you know and that to me was just that was part of the you know the flame lighting for me as well did you did it okay so by being oh, by being a fat person existing mm. by especially having your look which is you, which you loud or colorful yeah, yeah, and totally. expressive you're already yeah flying in the face of what's expected and what people want from you for sure did that always come easy to you like did it did it feel right to be the kind of person who's like one big fuck you to <laughs> yes yeah I think because I grew up kind of making my own clothes and just scavenging stuff and so I was never the things I were making were always weird and I guess at the time I kind of had that mentality of like people are going to look at me anyway you know so in some to some you know degree it was like by putting on this zany stuff was like encouraging the look but also kind of taking control of it you know and that that felt empowering but it was still also like very deeply rooted in a place of self-hatred and you know there was a lot of self-destruction entwined in that as well but yeah I think what kind of self-destruction oh you know just um Like, for instance, I'd be wearing loud clothes, but then if I walked down the street and someone yelled at me, I would feel like I had deserved it. And, you know, mm, yeah. so it's like in some ways oh, I was encouraging it, yeah. but in some ways, you know, I hated it at the same time. But it was the only way I knew how to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's quite interesting. So part of the loudness was maybe like to almost, oh, is it like a... um like a defense, like the way yes. I would I would make fat totally. jokes because I was like... Oh yeah, laugh at it. Uh-huh. Come and laugh at it because I know exactly. you're laughing anyway, so I want to be in control of why you're laughing. Yeah, uh, but it sense. still hurts when people laugh, though, right? Or when they yeah. make maybe not now, but you yeah, know, yeah, back yeah. in the day. And now it pays my rent. Then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I'm okay with it. But don't get it. No, but I think even as I don't, I'm not even sure if I knew that it hurt back then. I think yeah. I was so like because that's what you say when you're like, oh, I'm okay with this. I'm yeah. okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, laugh at it. Yeah, you can laugh at it. I yeah. don't care. So I don't even know if how aware I was of how much it hurt yeah I was the same like I used to make the fat jokes and always be like one of the the funny you know funny kids and I think fat people always have that sort of you know we kind of always have to be the funny people but yeah I feel like every time like people do laugh at the fat jokes or they start feeling comfortable enough to like make their own fat jokes but Mm. you let them think it's okay because Mm. you're cool like that (laughs) it does kind of to some extent or for me I felt that it did kind of compound and reinforce that value system well it does and that's I'm like like fat jokes within comedy when it's not a fat person doing it Mm. well I used to be well I started out doing them and I remember seeing a comedian It must have been a few years ago, and he was fat, and he did fat, like de- self-deprecating fat jokes, like, "Oh yeah, I know I'm lazy." Like, uh-huh. and if, at first, I was really like, "Ah, oh, you know, you're making it worse." You know, like, yeah. "Don't do this, don't feed them." And then I, I was like, "You know what? I, that's like, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I think it's sad and horrible that he feels this way about his fatness, but sure. no, I, I'm kind of okay with reclaiming it in a way, or like, yeah, okay, you can, you, you have deserved." to do this yeah 
you're at a point where you know what you do what you do on stage absolutely. but as soon as it's a then put like fuck no <laughs> for sure for do sure. not do absolutely not for sure because it's just what it is with jokes like that again it isn't the it isn't even the oppression or the hurt or the pain it's just that it it's the fact that you can only make those jokes if fatness being a bad thing is a fact yes otherwise it wouldn't make sense to people totally if you're like oh, I'm thin so I'm so lazy <laughs> People wouldn't laugh because it doesn't ring true. So Absolutely. Just, you know this, of course no, you know. No, yeah, no, no, totally. I still love hearing it. Every time I hear stuff like that, I'm like, yes. I do feel it because part of the book is me reading other books about it so I don't fuck oh, up too much. And even though most of the books say more or less the same thing, yeah. it, we, we haven't Definitely. heard it enough yet. <laughs> Definitely. We haven't heard it. We haven't seen it. You know, I'm all for fat visibility. And, you know, that's why I'm part of, like, the selfie culture and the, yes. like, you know, Instagram feeds that are just basically full of my outfits. Like, to some extent, I'm like, oh, God, this is horribly narcissistic. But then at the same time, I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want other people to post this shit, too. You know, I want someone to look at my Instagram feed and be like, man, she looks cool. I've always wanted to, you know, have green hair or get bunches of piercings or, you know, whatever, like just, and I want to show other people. I've, I think, you know, that visibility and representation, we can't have enough of it. So just keep bringing it. <laughs> Talk to me about selfie culture. Cause I know that's something that divides a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think I really only have a very, minimal take on it which is just basically everything that I just said like I think selfies are about autonomy and personal expression and I think that everybody has the right to do it um, and I think that there's some danger maybe with young people and the social media culture getting validation from that sort of thing and then kind of establishing uh, their own self-esteem based around you know how many likes this picture got or something I think there's danger to that um, but I'm not a parent, so I don't know how the fuck to deal with that. <laughs> I'm not even sure that's the thing you automatically know if you are a parent. Yeah, true. <laughs> they don't come out with a guidebook, do they? But I was the thing that, I mean, when I was a teenager, young teenager, it wasn't like the way we found self-esteem back then was healthy. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, it's, I think any sort of stuff like that is it's just a symptom isn't it like if we didn't if we just banned all social media it's not like mm-hmm. oh no all the teenagers That's are super fixed. confident yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly it might be more about the fact that women are uh, expected to be really pretty all the time totally yeah. so maybe that's this is another way of expressing that or getting that yeah for sure that um, outlook and I guess that's kind of why it can be important to like not you know, do the whole perfectly curated thing on social media as well. You know, take some photos without makeup or post the photo where, like, your dress looked super cute, but your your VBO, like, your visible belly outline was fully prominent. Or, you know, the profile shot where, like, your lipstick was glistening the best, but you had three chins. You know, (laughs) like, I think it's important to not always just be like, this is the most perfect photo. This is the one I'm posting. Because I find that, you know, people want realness and, you know, that's that's part of the journey. Oh, you said journey. <laughs> I put it in air quotes though. Does that count? I accept it. I accept <laughs> it. You. So what so you started reading, um you found Virgie and you found yeah. just Baker and yeah. then did it just 
just took off. Oh, look, it was it was a long time of like reading and processing. And I've always been a really self-reflective person. So I think that was helpful in the process for me. Um, but it also just kind of went hand in hand with the fact that I was just really fucking sick of hating myself. Like it was exhausting. And I knew that it was holding me back in literally every way a person can be held back. And like how? Oh, uh, you know, I just I I didn't really date and you know, once I got over that I didn't really date either. But I realized that it was because, you know, it wasn't because I was hating myself. Um I moved to Melbourne because I wanted to do musical theatre. I studied music first. Amazing. And I'm a vocalist and I love musical theatre, so that's why I came to Melbourne. But Is there another musical theatre here? Is that like is this the place for musical theatre? Pretty much, yeah. <gasps> I mean Melbourne and Sydney, but Melbourne is way better in every way. Um but you know, so I came and I think I did a couple of auditions just for local theatre and I'd always be just in the chorus. And then, you know, I'd go and do the production and I'd be in the chorus and they'd be like, you know, people come up to me and be like, Why don't you have this in this role or whatever? And I'd be like, Oh gee, I wonder why. <laughs> um, you know, and so it just it I didn't have enough um yeah self-esteem and confidence to really pursue that and I guess around the time that I started diving into all this you know body positivity and fat activism was also around the time I started getting a lot of tattoos and piercings because that helped me feel in control of my body and um yeah I got out oh, tell me more about that because I'm in I'm I'm getting a new, another tattoo on Thursday, yeah. and I'm re- and I'm going to get it on my stomach. <gasps> Good. And there's something in that, like Definitely. it feels different than any other tattoo I have. It's seven or something, but it feels so different. And I realized that it was because it's an area of my body I've never. I mean, I've learned to not hate it, but mm-hmm. I've never. I think it would have, up until this point, it would have felt like putting Christmas decorations on like a dead Christmas tree, <laughs> totally. you know, when you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to you... shine a shit. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So how did that, um, yeah. Tell me more about the, the feelings behind making well, that decision. I don't think it was conscious at the time, but it was definitely just, I had, I had an image in mind of the kind of person that I wanted to be. And that kind of person, you know, got tattoos in certain areas, regardless of whether those areas were like super flabby and covered in stretch marks, you know? So for me, it was, it was my upper arms. Um, and I just always hated my upper arms. I've always been like a sleeve person. Uh, so getting something in that area, regardless of how I felt about it was, you know, a first step towards autonomy and, um, empowerment. But then also, Afterwards, I was pretty shocked and delighted to find that I just felt that area was more beautiful. And I think that there is, you know, like that, that is kind of superficial because it's like, oh, visually it just looks nicer now. And, you know, it can be that whole, you're trying to hide something you don't like. Um, but it, it didn't felt feel that way. And I think it was just because of that, you know, um, Uh, fulfilling that idea of of who I wanted to be regardless of my insecurities at the time so and also I'm not really sure it does try and hide it as much as it tries to bring more attention to it true very true because once you and I'm not sure if if people or if we 
think about that before it's happening. Maybe mm. maybe it feels like I'm trying to hide it, but then you realize a lot of people go, "Oh, can I just see?" and like they touch, yes. and you're like, "Shit!" Now this <laughs> I really opened myself up oh, to yeah, this. Yeah, this part, and also you have to have a tattoo artist to sit and touch that area quite a lot. And yeah, I mean, I still get that. Like, uh, uh, can I have it on my stomach? Is that okay with you? <laughs> Are you okay with stomachs? Yeah. And they look at you like a doctor would. Like, oh, it's just a. It's, 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 I say it's that a it's a lot of fat phobia within the medicine industry. Anyways, no, no, no. I get you. <laughs> for the record, too, I have plans for a stomach tattoo as well. Yeah. Yeah. What are you getting? Um. Do you know the movie Death Becomes Her? Is, is it? Oh my God! Is that the um, one with what was her name? Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Oh my God! And they're undead. Yeah. yeah, it's such a great movie. If you. Oh my God! I haven't seen that since I was watch what, it. Fourteen or something. Watch it. Okay. Go, go back on. and watch it. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you might remember that there's like a little potion in there that is yeah. kind of the elixir of life and it's what makes them immortal and it's just like in this beautiful like purple vial with like all of this when they lift the lid all this smoke comes off it and um oh wow. yeah the lady who sells it to them who's isabella rossellini who is absolutely stunning i love her so much she has a latin you know expression for it which is simpre viva which is live forever <gasps> so yeah i want to get that with like all the smoke and everything oh my god uh, yeah what like, color is the purple Ooh, yeah yeah <laughs> oh wow yeah what are you getting i'm getting um do you know oh i'm not even sure of his last name kivan a fat activist possibly scholar on twitter Ooh. who is incredible he recently did a um a thread where he said something like for every like or for every retweet i'm gonna give a, a statistic about fat bias and I think he reached the hundred, and then he was like, oh, it's too much now. <laughs> I'm out. But it was just like all the statistics with the sources of like wow. that people get paid less, get treated worse, get. Da, 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 da. And uh, he makes these, um, it's like fat book clubs where he goes, right, I'm now going to read this or watch this documentary, and then I'm just going to live tweet from it. And, <gasps> oh, what my a boss. God. Yeah, it's amazing. So he's also a. Um, I don't know, illustrator or an artist or something. And he made this drawing. That's how I found him, I think, of this fat woman who sits, I think she's sitting, she's sitting um, in like split and her arms are up in the air and there's like fire from one palm to the other palm. <gasps> and she just looks majestic. Yes. And it's kind of sitting from behind. So you just see this big fat butt. And it's wonderful. <laughs> so I want that, but inside of like a galaxy. That sounds beautiful. And then just like a, I don't know what you call that, upper stomach? <laughs> Above the navel? Okay. I don't know what you call it. I thought maybe like your belly button could be like a bum hole or something. <laughs> is that a bit crass? Damn it. <laughs> Every I time. It's crass, this is not what I'm going to do with my body. But autonomy. <laughs> it's all right. I really, yeah, I think it's going to, like a really beautiful galaxy with like sounds stars. And, yeah, and the fire going into, yeah, I'm really excited about that it. That sounds gorgeous. It's quite part of my, because I really, most of my tattoos are body, body positive, fat liberation, whatever you, mm-hmm. word you want to use for it, which I quite... Like, that's part of it for me. Totally. Because I almost feel like if I just had a flower, it'd be a bit like... Mm. 
Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Like, mm, yeah, but what's the political statement? Absolutely. <laughs> They're all going to mean something. This was my, oh, wrong arm. <laughs> this was my um, first, like, visible tattoo that I ever oh, got, wow. which is a line from Rocky Horror, and it's Don't Dream It, Be It. And I got it right around that time when I was starting to feel like I'm just really fucking sick of hating myself because, you know, I'm a really big dreamer. I feel like my whole life, you know, I've always felt like there's lots of shit I want to do in this on this planet. And um, I was just felt like I was being held back from all of it. And so, yeah, kind of all kind of started swirling up around this time. And I was just like, I don't want to dream it anymore. I just want to be it and do it Amazing. and have it. And yeah. so what happens between when you started this trip, <laughs> this voyage, uh, LSD trip, <laughs> when you started this, oh, fuck it, journey, um, <laughs> how i don't know how to phrase it so because so you were holding yourself back yeah. because of the internalized phobia mm -hmm. but you were at the same time also being held back by society and mm -hmm. patriarchy and all these this the system yeah were you did you have do you know if you were aware of how much was you holding yourself back and how much was coming from the outside I think the calls are always coming from inside the house. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. But what uh, about like musical theatre, for example? But it's conditioning, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, God damn it, that is a really complex question. Damn you, Sophie. <laughs> Get that allowed. You're just <laughs> cackling like an evil mastermind over here. <laughs> um, I've gotten to the point now, and with hindsight that I feel that if I had have stuck with my journey for musical theatre, I could have made it work. It yeah. might have taken me 30 years, and by that point I'd be the old fat lady playing the grandmothers in all the musicals, but I think that I could have found a way to achieve that goal if I had have stuck with it long enough, if I had have persevered with it long enough. Um, if, if I had have gone in with the right mindset, with the right armour, with the right resilience... Um, but it just so happens that that's not the way it worked for me. And, and it wasn't supposed to, because I feel like the, the path that I've been on since then has led me to where I'm really supposed to be and where I'm meant to be going. Uh, so I think, you know, I think it's, it's obviously both. It's obviously what, like you holding yourself back, but that being a conditioning of the way the world is, which is shitting on fat people at every turn. Um, but I think that, I still, maybe it's just the optimist in me, but I feel that we can fight the good fight, you know, and I think that if there is something that you want to do and you're willing to put that time and that effort into, you know, building up your armor and charging ahead and getting knocked back and charging ahead again in pursuit of whatever that thing is, I think that, I think that people can do it, you know? Yeah, I guess it's, but if your dream had been to play... Uh, Eponine and they miss <laughs> or if your dream had been to play Angelica Schuyler and have you know sure. there's only so much you as a single individual person can do yeah and like there must be, there is a point where they go like it doesn't matter how sure positive and yeah. fighty you are yeah I get you uh, and, uh, well I guess it's more a question than a statement like but do you think that do you think we can fight so hard that we can change that yes maybe not in our lifetime but yes i do i, I have to that. yeah I, know. i have to i have to believe that otherwise 
none of it's worth it yeah for me and i think you're right i hope you're, I hope you're right <laughs> i did um it hasn't come out yet but i it will have when people listen to this uh, an episode with trevor dion nicholas he plays Aladdin in West End. No, he plays the oh, genie in Aladdin in West beautiful. End. Beautiful. Yeah, and he's he's uh, big as well. And yeah. Because we were talking about that, like how limited it is for him mm-hmm. to get parts because totally. he's a, he's a big black guy. Yeah. You know this. You know that's not Sean. That's not going to be Sean with Sean. Mm-hmm. You know, possibly in this lifetime. I mean, the fucking imagine. Oh my yes. god. Yeah. And I, that's that's why I mentioned it because I I just this has been talked about on the podcast before like how mm-hmm. intensely and desperately I want fat lead actors and actresses in musical theatre absolutely what was your dream role um I don't know if I had a dream role and if I had to name a dream role it would lend itself to being a fat person which is oh, Tracy yeah? Turnblad and Hairspray oh yeah I'm a huge John Waters fan like obsessive Amazing. um yes but I, then again do did would that have been my dream role because I already felt like it might have been achievable or you know even if I weren't fat would that be what I wanted to do you know you never know what comes first (laughs) have you always been optimistic or like a positive person has this always been a thing uh I think so yeah I mean I think I had like regular teenage you know hormones and possible depression but my mum was like a motivational speaker and she has multiple sclerosis and she's all about you know kicking butt and doing what you want to do and the doctors told her when I was a baby that she was like in and out of a wheelchair and they were like get ready to be in a wheelchair permanently um because you're not going to walk again soon and she was like no fuck yeah (laughs) and now you know you can't even tell she has MS aside from the fact that she's blind in one eye and it kind of looks like a lazy eye so just like floats around um, but yeah, she's an ass kicker. She owns her own cafe now. She's on her feet 12 hours a day. She's, you know, so my mom really taught me to, yeah, to, to fight for things that I believe in and, you know, stay positive. And my mom's one of those like frustratingly, like eternally optimistic people, you know, like one of those people you want to punch in the face. And my dad is as pessimistic as they come. So I feel like I've landed somewhere in the middle, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Cause I was, my, my question was going to be, if there was, if you have then felt there was room to be negative or down or or if it had if you had to be positive all the time or if that is just the way it is or if you have had space to actually this is bordering on a therapy session so yeah i will invite you afterwards (laughs) (laughs) um yeah look i think that's that's something that I, I have actually started therapy in the last year and I think that's something that I have been working with her about as well is just that kind of giving yourself room to be human really and not be positive all the time not being a people pleaser and having boundaries and having boundaries with other people and yourself and oh, boundaries you know, is the big totally. it's the big therapy topic isn't it yes it oh, is the worst. it's so cliche but like it's just fitting it yeah is. the first many times my therapist said and what about your mother i like laughed in her face because <laughs> i was like it's so cliche yes. she's like haha yeah but anyways what about your mother <laughs> <laughs> totally um how much of that do you think has to do with fat activism because there is a there is an expectation within you know when you're a fat activist there is and it, most of it's internal but you know, having to love yourself all the time. I know mm-hmm. you don't actually have to, but you're, 
I sometimes would feel a bit like a bad activist if I have a bad day where I sudden and it comes out of the blue like I'll feel really good I look at the mirror and suddenly it's like oh no I'm a piece of shit and totally. this and horrible <laughs> and then there's almost like an extra layer of shame which is oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way like I know it's not me I know this is good I know yeah so is that do you think yeah um I I think the same thing like I I I think I've gotten to the point now though where I realize that it's important for me to acknowledge and also be vocal about the times when I feel shit. I think that a lot of the fat activists, especially the ones who have any amount of visibility online, um, I do think that there's like an added pressure that I think people put on themselves to always project this image of strength and, you know, achieving this optimum idea of what body positivity or fat positivity is. But I think that it's really humanizing when we can say, no, I've had a fucking shit day today or this week or this month or whatever. You know, I think that the more we talk about that sort of stuff, the more people realize that it's not just like a a switch that you flick. You don't go from like hating yourself to loving yourself. And it's Mm. not, you know, it's 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 a trip. (laughs) It's a voyage. It's Uh, a voyage. (laughs) It's a roller coaster voyage. So. Growing up or having the relationship, I guess, with life where you, you know how you, when you're an adult, you tend to fall into the patterns of your childhood. Like that's for everyone Mm kind of more or less does this. Um, This um, life where you kind of more or less have to be, or it's encouraged for you to be very positive and optimistic. How much of that do you think meant that fat activism felt like a nice place to be because there might be the same you know it's almost your job to be really optimistic and positive about the way you look which is because Mm. it's an activist thing in itself do you think that's a pattern or is it that's very interesting and maybe something to talk about with my therapist next <laughs> week. Okay, I'll, I'll give you some notes. Oh, thank you. Thank I have you. a phone call with her, and I'll be like, "This, this <laughs> yeah. is what you need to." Actually, if I were you, I would ask her this. this, and this. Here's some Kobe insights. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I think that it's definitely something I'm still figuring out and navigating for myself. Mm. I know I know that I try to, you know, be as open and honest about all of those thoughts and feelings, but at the same time like I, you know, I get I get nervous about the thoughts and and ideas that I'm putting into other people's minds sometimes. It feels like a big responsibility and What do you mean? You know. Well, like fat positivity? Yeah, fat positivity and well, I guess my my version of fat positivity, you know, in the same way that I think there's different types of feminism and that some of the, you know, types of feminism that I don't agree with are kind of making us all look like man-hating dickheads. You know, I just, I, I'm just trying to like constantly make sure I stay on my toes and I, I keep educating myself on what it is to, you know, be truly fat positive and to, um, you know, approach things intersectionally and you know all of that sort of stuff so I just get you know I start second guessing myself sometimes like am I is this this the right way to be representing fat positivity or fat activism you know and I I I think it's probably always going to be like that and I think it probably should always be like that yeah yeah it's a weird one isn't it yeah the, the 
the less you acknowledge it you know the the better it is to mm-hmm. make sure it's not oh to be called out and then be okay with that totally totally <laughs> but also like the recognizing patterns in your adult life doesn't have to be a bad thing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever phrased it like this before but it's like finding a man who looks exactly like your dad isn't a bad thing if your dad's hot you know <laughs> you know like it's, it doesn't have to be a bad thing <laughs> Oh, there's a fine I mean, line one, between incest and experimentation. <laughs> oh, that's the episode title. Great. Mm. I'll ask you this question, which is a fairly new one on the podcast. Okay. Um, it's based off, I mean, by this point, people listening will hate me for having to explain why I'm asking the question because it's not relevant to the question, but I'm asking the question because uh, I asked it to the boy band Westlife when I was 13. Okay. Yeah. And they answered badly. So, <laughs> but it's a really good question. So it deserves better answers. That's okay. what I'm asking. So, okay. The question is this, uh, which question would you most like for me to ask you? And it can be like, it could be, it can be based on the fact that, you know, you've known that you were going to do this for a while. Maybe you had ideas about what, maybe you've prepared something you wanted to say, or it could even be, Oh my god! I'm watching this great TV show. Ask me about that, or it could be what's my favorite color, or like it's, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, that's a question. Wow, that's a bitch of a question. <laughs> I I haven't like I didn't like mentally psych myself up for this chat, so I I don't have any like cool things up my sleeve. Doesn't have, um, oh, it does not have to be cool. I'm not a very cool person. <laughs> oh, you're perfect for the podcast then. Um. My brain just keeps thinking of things that, like, I would want to ask you, but that's because I'm a deflector. Interesting. <laughs> um, maybe... Oh, this is rough. Can we edit all this dead space out? No. <laughs> no. This makes you human, remember? But I can ask you a question. Maybe you can think about it in the back of your head. Okay. Would you be um, as deflective if I hadn't just been like really grossly uh, therapeutically asking you stuff like has the armor gone up a tiny bit or is it just you're always a bit deflective um I think I'm naturally quite deflective when I was like 11 I read the Dale Carnegie book how to win friends and influence people yeah and I think that you know as beneficial as that was I think that it's it you know ingrained in me from a very young age just ask other people questions all the time keep other people talking and then you know they feel great about themselves and you haven't had to do jack shit (laughs) 11 years old is also a very young age to teach someone to be a psychopath yes so true (laughs) but i remember going to my mom because like my mom you know motivational speaker like she was the one that gave me the book and i remember going to my mom being like you know mom that's a really good book but the only problem with it is that not everyone in the world has read it. So it means that, like, there are a bunch of people out there just asking answering all the questions question, yeah. and a bunch of people just answering them. And so that's I've really always nice, been the question asker. That's a really nice uh, that's a really nice observation for a child to make. I got it from my brother, who is could be a motivational speaker if he wanted to. Like, he's not like it's easy to do, but more like he's... Uh, he took the other route was into um uh the game and like what's it called uh 
pickup artist stuff. Oh, that yeah. stuff. So he kind of took the book and used it for evil. <laughs> it wasn't a nice, sympathetic, like, oh, I just want to know about people. It's more like, oh. yeah. No. <laughs> he's the evil bot, right? He, at, least, yeah. at least he was. I think he's very good now. But okay, <laughs> when he was a teenager, that was his thing. So that's how I read the book. And I was like, wait, <laughs> does this mean that all nice people I've ever met have just been like following a recipe? <laughs> Huh. <laughs> wow, I've never thought about it from that flip side. Oh, yeah, you can always use your, your powers for evil. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, even divulging to you now that I read this book and so that's my way to get through life, you're like, are you just using a recipe to, like, make this interaction good? Shit. Just don't overanalyze things. Well, maybe... Okay, I'm going to try with this question then. What would an uh, 11-year-old... Kobe, mm-hmm. bef- right before she read the book, what would she like to be asked? Right before she read the book? Is before she said? knew that there was a way of defle- that deflection was even a thing you could do. Oh, you're going to have to hypnotize me to get me back there. I mean, I'm <laughs> very close to trying. <laughs> um, like, if you could selflessly, no, not self, selfishly, okay. just talk about anything. Like it, you didn't have to worry about what people thought, uh, what people felt, or if they were bored, or if they hated it, or like if you could just gush about anything you wanted. Um, maybe. Okay, maybe I'd want to talk about just generally about like mental health mm-hmm. I guess because for me like I definitely started to feel what I, what I would say is depression around the age of 12 or 13 and I didn't know what it was at the time and I, I came through it luckily but now as an adult like I have a lot of friends who suffer from anxiety and depression and because of all the stuff that like you just kind of hit on the head before I've always felt unable to explore that side myself like I never went to therapy before the past year and so I guess I always kind of felt a need to like keep a lid on that stuff really really tightly um and now that I'm an adult and I'm starting to like you know really dig into that kind of stuff I'm finding a lot of merit in saying you know sometimes I get anxious too you know I don't have anxiety I don't think or I feel unwilling or undeserving to like put that label on me but you know like Mm. it's just sometimes things aren't okay you know and that's been something that I've really worked hard to keep a lid on for a long time even just saying it yeah acknowledging it absolutely yeah it's a not fun is exactly the wrong word but interesting how we get these thoughts of oh but I'm not anxious enough to qualify as anxious I haven't exactly. kissed enough girls to be bisexual I haven't yes. I haven't cried enough to have a depression Absolutely. <laughs> there are people out there who feel way worse than me for yeah sure. but you still can't leave your bed for 16 hours so I think <laughs> I think you qualify it's not Absolutely. really like an, it's not an award where you have to be the, the sure. most depressed, depressed person to win for sure I think that, that we've been, like, there, there's something about the whole, like, 
um, owning owning your privilege as well that kind of sometimes fucks me up. Like the fact that I don't have as bad a depression or anxiety as some of my close friends means that, you know, I have this privilege card and, you know, I need to acknowledge that and own it. But then what does that look like to me when, you know, I am feeling shitty, you know? So, mm. and Rock, do you know, I'm sure you know Roxanne Gay. Of course. Yes. Oh my God. I remember she in Bad Feminist, she had this whole diatribe about, you know, um, different types of privilege and how we compare the privilege cards and what that amounts to in the end. And the summary of it is like jack shit, you know, we're all having lived experiences and they all look completely different. And there's a time and a place to sort of say like, you know, I have a systemic privilege based on X, Y, and Z, but there are a lot of gray areas too. It's the same as, you know, if I, if I, if if I had a depression that was worse than your depression, I wouldn't be like, Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, you're not as. Oh, you come here with your little. You know, <laughs> at least you showered this morning. I couldn't even shower. There's a way of saying, oh, we can all. You know, yeah. What's the worst for you connect. is the worst for yeah. me, and it's. I don't think it makes much of a difference. For Other sure. people's hardships doesn't really make you feel better. Totally. About you. That's a very long way of getting to that, but you know no, what no, I mean. Yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah, no, that's perfect. But yeah, I think that's just like a, been a really long journey for me. Um, you know, I think I mentioned in passing before that, like, I'm very much a people pleaser. So it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want you to think that I think that, you know, my, you know, anxiety is the same as your anxiety because, you know, I can still go to work, but like, you can't go to work, you know, it's just, mm. isn't also just a matter of who you complain to, True. you know, like, well, it's all being aware of or being, Sometimes it's just acknowledging as well, isn't it? Or just saying, yeah. I'm having a really horrible, anxious day. Yeah. I know you're going through shit as well. Yeah. If you have any kind of energy to talk to me about this, that would be amazing because I know what you're going through. You know, it's for sure. A lot of this is, feels like it's just about empathy and mm-hmm. reaching out and just not. It's the whole talk to people. And it's, it's almost bringing us all the way back to the beginning of the worst thing about uh, borrowing your friend's clothes or like that situation is that they wouldn't acknowledge that you're fat. Mm-hmm. Like, you, can, you can wear my clothes. It's the same, like, you know, talk, just talk, you know, just instead of being like, oh, I can't, I uh, shouldn't get in touch with this person because they're anxious, but I'm anxious too, so I probably shouldn't make it sound, you know. Yeah. It's just about, I've spoken way too much in this episode. No, like, I'm, no. This I'm is what stoked. you do. This is what you do. <laughs> I Dale Carnegie the shit out of you. You don't even ask me questions. I'm just like, yeah, I feel like you want to hear everything. No, I, just, I do. <laughs> but it's a fact. I'm not just Dale Carnegie you. I really do. <laughs> do you deflect in therapy? No. No? No. That's good. It's magical. Yeah, it is. I guess, I, yeah. When I went to her, I had to just really give myself a stone talking to and be like, you know, practice being selfish with this bitch. Like, and it's funny because one of my closest friends, she's been having a really tough time lately. And um, we were both talking, we have a lot of similarities and we were both talking about that feeling of when you go to therapy and, you know, they ask you a bunch of stuff and then you have to fight that urge to be like, but what about you? Or, you know, (laughs) how do you deal with that? Or, you know, and it's, you feel it go, it flies in the face of everything that feels like being a good person, you know, being a good conversationalist and caring about other people. And you just have to be like, Nope, 
I'm I'm paying $180 an hour or whatever it is, you know, I'm going to talk about me. Yeah, yeah, I think that the money makes it easier, doesn't it? Definitely. <laughs> but how are you doing? But don't ask too much. Like, I don't yeah, yeah, all exactly. But my therapist, she's very, um, she has such clear boundaries, which I'm not used to. And like, oh, it's another like cringe shame moment. Uh, like, oh, oh. <laughs> after the first session, I hugged her. And like realizing during hug that, that is not what we're doing here. Okay. Because she did not like physically she move. Didn't. And I was like, oh, wow. She I didn't can, give you anything. No. <gasps> she was, she's very, very like boundary. Like we do not, yes. you know, like this. No, this is all about me. And like, well, my first therapist was like hug and like we texted each other. She came to see my shows and this one, she's ice cold and I need that. Yeah. But like the worst feeling in the world, hugging someone who's not hugging you back. And you're like, oh no. I was like, I gotta find a new therapist. It's can't go back to this one. <laughs> she knows I'm a hugger. She knows. Oh, like, how can we ever say goodbye again without? Like, now we don't even shake hands. It's just like I wave at her. I'm like, no, bye. bye. <laughs> I think she likes that. Like, I'm like, bye, bye, bye. Would you ever mention that to her in therapy? I think I, I think I would at some point. As yeah. like, if she ever needs an example of, hey, do you tend to never let go of things? Yeah, actually, <laughs> remember what happened five years ago? Uh, she's very bad I like the boundary because that also means that if I asked her about anything with her life I would feel like I was overstepping totally all the boundaries totally she's very professional and very like yeah you know oh it's time get out of my office and that feels rude as well because I'm like I'm just telling you about like my dad and stuff and yeah exactly (laughs) you've given me nothing and thrown me out (laughs) (laughs) totally so you managed to not deflect that yeah, I think I do actually. Yeah. How long have you seen her? Um, this specific one, just maybe about three or four months. Yeah. Yeah, but before that, I started therapy around the middle of last year. But I saw someone else first, and yeah, she talked too much. <laughs> Mine was drunk. I had what? One, so I've had quite a few, but the one I had when I started therapy in London, the first one I had, because. I thought she was great because for the first three sessions I was just talking and she didn't say anything. So I was like, right, I need to catch her up with everything that's happened. <laughs> and then like when she had to start talking, she was like talking a bit like this. <gasps> I was like, and like one one time I came and she was in like a nightgown and she was like, what? and I was like, oh sorry, did you forget that I was coming? She was like, no, no, not at all. I could tell she had. <laughs> And like she was, whenever I said like when's our next appointment, she was like, well, whenever. And I'd be like Thursday or two. She'd be like, yeah. And she didn't even write it down. So I, don't, oh, I think it was like her only, yeah. And one time she was like slurring. So I was like just like I didn't like to look at her. So I was just like looking around the room. And I turned my head, and there was like a like a racist doll. And I was like, holy shit. And I was so like socially awkward to just go, I'm leaving. So I had to finish the session, but like. I had to still talk about my life, but knowing that I was never, ever going to see her again. And it was just this. Did you just start making shit up? I would have just started lying at that point. (laughs) But at this point, she only wanted to talk about comedy. Like, I was explaining this, like, deep, traumatic event to her. And she went, like, a a childhood thing. Like, a really dark thing. cornerstone content. Yeah. And and she said, um, have you ever told any of your comedian friends? And I was like, uh, no, of course not. This is like way too... What? And she went, well, I'm just thinking maybe it's a comedian thing. I was like, uh, what? Well, unless they all grew up with my grandfather, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think it's a thing. She was, I mean, holy shit. Oh my God, yeah. that is some next level stuff. Isn't it? I think it's a, it's a good... 
learning thing to realize that um Don't like if, they're therapists. Too, <laughs> if they're too available bad sign that's <laughs> right and you one is like right i can't make that day i can't make that but you can only do mondays at yep. 11 that's my only slot i was like yes, yes. yeah <laughs> yes that's what yes. i want <laughs> good you're, you're in uh, you're in demand thank god exactly yeah but um, your first one just talked too much oh yeah uh, my next door neighbor she's like i have a power lesbian couple who are my next door neighbors i call nice. them power lesbian couple because they just are amazing they do everything they have two um teenage sons who are just like the most politest beautiful oh. young men i've ever met and they run like the community gardens and oh, they go around nice. and like mow the blind lady in the street's yard and they're just like the most amazing people anyway one of them is a psychologist and a couple of times you know i've sort of like opened up to her a little bit and just been like oh you know blah 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 and she's like you know maybe you could go and talk to someone about that she was you know my my testing ground um she knew that yeah "Mm, yeah this is what she needs yeah she needs some encouragement and so i was like look i don't know who to go to i don't know how to find someone i basically want to talk to you but i know that i can't and she was like okay well um i have a colleague that like maybe i'll suggest um she's a sister and i was like do you mean like a nun and she was like no i mean a dyke oh i was like oh okay <laughs> i mean the connotations behind sister can be yeah, so exactly much. <laughs> do you mean a nun <laughs> I think your problem is uh, you're a bit too promiscuous, actually. You should, uh, find, <laughs> to the nunnery with finding you. Finding God, what? <laughs> no, I think I have a depression at all. It's <laughs> not at all where I was going with it's this. It's not a religious thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so she, anyway, she sent me to this lady, and it turns out that, yeah, the only thing they really have in common is that they're middle-aged butch lesbians, um, which is kind of interesting because it's like, is that how you think that I see you? Like... You know, oh, when you said I want to talk to you, yeah, it's like, I oh, meant someone wearing this shirt. Okay, I'll find someone else wearing this shirt. I guess yes. someone else with short hair. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, like it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't an amazing fit. She spent mm. like the first one and a half sessions talking about like how important it is to get eight hours of quality sleep, and like made me keep like a sleep journal and stuff. And I was just like, look, I get it. Like anyone who's ever read, you know, a self-help book or even just a health and fitness magazine the knows that. The front cover of like, any magazine. Exactly. Yeah. We should, you know, get anyone enough nutrients. Anyone who's ever felt tired after and... seven hours knows that. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, she just kept banging on and on and on about it. And then she made me keep this bloody journal. And I thought maybe it was going to be a dream journal, you know, like getting oh, yeah, into like yeah. the inner psychings of my yeah. twisted little mind. But um, no, it was just like... <laughs> Woke up twice, you know, cat woke me up, got up to pee, (laughs) nocturnal emissions, (laughs) not quite, not quite. My very, very first therapist, oh my gosh, she was so bad. First of all, she didn't just take notes, she literally wrote down, like, almost, she tried to write down, like, every word I was saying, (gasps) so I was like, are you... Bitch, you need a stenographer. I was like, are you probably listening? She was like, "Uh, wait... Yeah, and then like the next set, if I said like yeah, so I've spoken to Andrea, she'd be like looking back in her notes like who's Andrea? Like, oh. whoa. And then she, um, so I was, I knew what was wrong already. I was like, oh, depression. I've self harmed, but I've stopped, and I think it's because my dad leaving, my grandfather being a psychopath. Da, da, da. And then she was like, right, okay. I, I've tried to do material about this, but it's, I, I don't think it's been, I don't think people believe it. 
So she t- she said, okay, right. First she tried to make me draw a tree. It's a whole thing with like, that. Like a family tree? or just no, a like, tree. Like a, draw just a tree. A tr- okay. Yeah, draw a tree. Okay. I drew a tree after like being like, can we not just talk about my dad? He's like, no, 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 draw a tree. So I was like, fine. So this is like you know, two lines and like broop, on top of it. She was like, wow, okay. Um, so you're lonely? I was like, what? Yeah, because Sophie, where are the other trees? It's like, you told me to draw a tree. A tree! Yeah, but a tree is in a forest, isn't it? Yours is very alone. <gasps> I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, all right. No, bitch. Uh, I just follow instructions. Yeah, can we talk well? about my dad, please. <laughs> like, where the, the. You feel very simple because there are no branches. And i like, fuck this. And then she said, okay, so if all of you are. Um, Weak sides was an animal. What animal would it be? I was like, because I was like 16. I was like, I shouldn't feel better than a therapist. Like, I should just submit to this. I was like, right, uh, my weak sides uh, is a cat. I was like, oh, (laughs) interesting. Okay, so what are your strong sides? What animal is that? And I was like, it's a horse. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And you're like, right, so mention like a neutral animal. I was like, a dog. It's like, right, okay. So imagine the dog, and this is this is why I can't do my tour because it sounds like it doesn't, it isn't real. Imagine the dog speaks both horse and cat. So the dog oh, has no, she to, didn't. Mm-hmm, so the dog has to mediate between the do- the horse and the cat. So what would the cat like to tell the horse? And I was just like, what the fuck is this? What is happening? And eventually, I was like, I. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and I went to my, I went up to, to school and I told my, uh, just like to the group of friends I had, I was like, so you made me draw trees. And, draw. and then they were all like laughing a bit. They went, oh, let's try and draw some trees. Oh, we were all like drawing trees. And then one of these girls, actually, ironically, the fat girl on the bus. Okay, yeah. Uh, drew this black dead <gasps> tree with like branches, like almost touching the corners of the page. Oh, wow. And it was like, dead and like branches falling down over there i was like oh shit <laughs> oh shit, oh, shit. Uh, i have the number for someone you need yeah. to go and talk to about this <laughs> so now whenever you're like dating someone prospectively you're like can you just draw a tree for me i'm gonna need you to draw a tree <laughs> also how do you feel about horses cats and dogs uh, you do this you make me talk so much i love it <laughs> Well, yeah, good for you, but do the listeners love it? Yes, they do. I hope so. (laughs) They do, otherwise they wouldn't listen. (laughs) This is like, oh, you know about problematic stuff, so you can maybe call me out if this is problematic. Oh, dear. I know. Um, So I like asking this question, and I just want to make it very clear. It's not because I think the uh, correctional facilities is a joke. Yeah, so the question is... That's a good setup. (laughs) The question is, so you are in a medium to high-level security prison. Okay. What is the most likely reason that you're there? <laughs> I don't think prisons are funny. Like, I know this so, it's so such a horrible thing, and it's uh, ultimately both something that doesn't work, and it's racist, and it's unfair, and it's a totally. horrible system. This is more a question about what could push you into a situation where that's... Okay. Mm. It might still be very problematic, by the way, and I'm very aware of that, and I still do want to be called out. Uh, you know, 
intent. I think intent is important. Um, so part of me wants to like do the whole deflecty, jokey, like, oh, robbing a cake store kind of thing. Oh, really? Was that why you went to automatically? <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but the whole, I watch a lot of Lock Up on Netflix, yeah. which is like a prison show. And is I, it a fictional or like a documentary? It's like a documentary, but it's oh. like trash drama. Like they focus on, on like all like, you know, noisemakers and rabble rousers generally. Um, I actually really like prison stuff. Um, but anyway, it made me think about Louis Theroux's documentary series, oh, yeah. A Place for Pedophiles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, I'm kind of, I think maybe because, you know, I was sexually abused in my childhood, but I kind of have like a little bit of a fixation on the minds behind pedophilia. And I think this is really, this got dark, but hey, you went there. Um, I think that I could see myself going to prison for like killing a pedophile. And I think I could do it, you know? I think I could do it. Would, you, would it be a, a, like a crime of passion? Or would, would you be able to do it planned? Like, would it be something you would mm, set your mind up no, to? No, I don't think I'd, I don't think it'd be premeditated. No, 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 I don't think so. Um, I reckon it could be like an in the moment kind of thing. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the tiny, tiny bombshell you just dropped about your childhood? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's, well, maybe not necessarily want to talk about that, but I want to talk about the fact that you just referred to it as a tiny bombshell. I mean, it's a a huge fucking bombshell. No, well, the fact that it's a bombshell, because the thing is, like, I spent so many years of my life, like, not talking about it and guarding it like this precious secret. And, you know, since I've been in therapy and stuff, I've been trying to find ways to just kind of mention it in a time and place that it's relevant because I don't want it to be a secret. I feel like the secret is really, um, yeah, makes it very, like, defining about kind of who I am and stuff. And I just I just kind of want to, like, free myself from that yeah. in all the little ways that I can in my life. So... Yeah, I, like, don't necessarily want to talk about, like, the actual abuse, but, like, I think identifying as someone who experienced, you know, sexual abuse in early childhood is, like, a way of kind of giving context to who I am as a person. So, yeah, I mean, that got really deep. Sorry about that. No, I think it's meant to, we're meant to go deep. This is, this is podcast ways is really good but for you obviously horrible things have happened yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm sorry it happened to you oh that's i don't need people to be sorry for me you know i know yeah but i'm gonna go out and live and say i am anyways because i also know the deflection part of yeah yeah well i mean i haven't experienced the same but i've been in the same category of horrible things happening in a childhood situation sure so i know that if the instinct to be like it's ages ago i've worked through it or i am mm. working through it you know, you almost can't really ugh, like bear people's little sad faces and yeah. their <laughs> thing. So I, I think that's what I'm trying. To, I'm trying to allow myself to say no. It's I'm still gonna acknowledge that it's really a shitty thing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. Well, from that angle, um, do you want to or can you talk about um, like the consequences for the person who did it? Is that um, yeah, there were no consequences for that person at all. Um, yeah, I think my mum like took me to the police station and stuff and like they kind of put you in like a little room and try and get you to like say what it is that's happened. Oh, um, how old and were you? 
like four, five. Oh, God. Yeah. And so if you don't, like, if the child doesn't say it, like, without the parent being in the room, then there's nothing they can sort of go on. But, um, yeah, as a, revo- as a result, like, my, my birth father, who is not my dad, I have a stepdad who is my dad, and he's the best in the world. Um, but, yeah, my birth father kind of, um, my mum had to give up child support or anything from him um, because in those days, like, if a if a father was paying child support, it meant that they had rights to, like, visitation and to have the child and stuff. So I used to go to his house on the weekends and then he'd take me to his parents' house, which is where it all happened. Um, but, yeah, so my mum had to kind of t- to cut him off and get me out of the situation. She had to stop taking child support from him. And, yeah, it means that, like, I have a whole side of my family that I don't know um and like that's okay I don't you know I don't know what that side of the family I know that I have a half brother who's like a lot younger than me but I don't know what he knows about me Mm. so you know it's just like I kind of have these fantasies of like maybe one day when he's a proper adult making contact with him but then like really scared to find out what what he thinks like why he thinks I'm not a part of the family and yeah it's just yeah it's quite um yeah, I feel like my family is very small and not necessarily as a result of that, but, you know, it was immediately halved. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is was that what you initially went to therapy to deal with? Was that your, this, was there like a, was there a thing in your life where you thought, yeah, it's time for, yes. this is the reason why it's time to start dealing with this. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And funnily enough, like when I decided to go to therapy, I just kind of, I wanted to make it a rule. I mean, not a, not a hard rule because if it was relevant, it was relevant. But like, I didn't want to talk about my experiences, sort of, you know, my fatness or anything like that. I really wanted to keep it relationship based. Um, and, you know, sometimes that is relevant, but for the most part, I think that yeah kind of childhood trauma like that and um you know coping mechanisms that we develop when you've been through something like that kind of you know form who you are as a person and I I really wanted to specifically unpack that sort of stuff um yeah and that's it's been really beneficial and some of it some of it is definitely I'd probably say a lot of it actually with the help of my therapist, I've been able to like track back through that, you know, stream and kind of, yeah, see why I've become the person that I am. And I have coping mechanisms such as I do. Um, but yeah, I think it's been really beneficial. So I so it was basically the same, um, you being tired of being held back. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I'm also like a really high stress person. Like I'm not super, anxious or depressed but like my stress levels are very high and I think it's one of those things that um yeah like childhood trauma brings about it's like you either fall apart and lose your shit as a person or you suck it up so tight that that rod is up your clacker you know (laughs) I think I definitely tend towards that so it's just kind of like loosening that pole and you know are you scared of the um healing pro- healing process sounds too too comfortable for what it actually is yeah but you know the the um like how do you feel about control like, do you need to have control of your control yeah like, you're a control person um yes i think naturally i am yeah and so that kind of 
that's something in terms of boundaries as well. Like I'm constantly analyzing that as well. You know, like for instance, in my house, like we have a dishwasher. So I'm always like the dishes need to be put in the dishwasher. And if people don't do that, I'm a bit like the fucking fuck, you know, but then I have to kind of give myself a talking to and be like, is that fair? You know, like I know I'm being a control freak about this, but am I valid in, you know, wanting a tidy kitchen or, you know, like, so it's like a constant process of, you know, assessing, am I being uptight about this or is this a, a valid thing? What is I'm me and what to... is childhood? Yeah, totally. Because yeah. totally. I, my, that was this, for me, that's the most terrifying thing about dealing with uh, trauma is it means I sometimes have to let go of control. Mm-hmm. When I was 17 and we started uh, talking about the year I was seven or something, my therapist said, you're going to start reliving some feelings you had when you were seven. Uh, or maybe it was younger. It was the period of time when tiny girls often want to be princesses, basically. Yeah, right. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And then f- within 48 hours, I bought pink stuff. And I never I hated pink. I had never wanted to own anything pink. Yeah. Suddenly, I bought a pink bike, a pink dildo, a pink, <laughs> everything I bought was pink. And I was... And then suddenly it stopped. I was like, why do I own all this pink stuff? So, and that was, that's the fear, you isn't it? That suddenly yeah. four-year-old you or 12-year-old you, or all these parts of yourself where you weren't allowed to be yourself or something had happened, you uh, buried it somewhere. They'll come out like little explosions. Totally. And you're like, oh shit, I just, totally. <laughs> I just did this very childish thing and I'm meant to be an adult in control of myself. Yes. And, yeah. and then suddenly you just start exploding mm. i'm wondering if now that like uh, because i haven't heard that before but i'm wondering if now that you've like subliminally planted that idea in my mind (laughs) i'm gonna be out i always wanted a baby born (gasps) did you never have one i never had a baby born okay wondering if maybe like next week i'm just gonna like wake up in the middle of my lounge room with 30 baby borns around me or something i don't think i've said this on the podcast before and i don't even think i've told anyone what like a month or two months ago I bought like a stuffed toy and I started sleeping with it at night oh that's and it's and it's not me that's the whole the fun or the fun the weird thing about it is it's not me it's the tiny tiny girl that I'm trying to get in touch with inside of myself sounds so cliche but like the first night I woke up like hugging it like really hugging this elephant and it does make a difference I got it yeah Oh, can I, um, do you have like a, do you need to be out of here? Because we've run no, over a bit, no, but I really want to, um, good, good. So am I right to assume you're, you're into horror stuff as yes. well? What's the, well, tell me about that first. You, um, I'm just, I, I'm really, um, well, I'm super into horror. Uh, when I was really young, I watched, not that it's horror, but I watched the Terminator with the liquid man in it. Okay. I think it's Terminator 2. And um, the liquid man, like there was an older boy, we lived in a cul-de-sac and the oldest boy in the street knew that the liquid man terrified me. And so he used to like chase me around on his bike screaming like the liquid man's going to get you. And this was when I was like, yeah, around four or five years old. And so the liquid man used to keep me up at night. I was so scared of him. And my mum sat me down with the movie and we watched it together and she explained to me how special effects work. Um, so since then I've been really obsessed with like special effects and I've kind of dabbled with that a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of ties into my love of horror. Like I love the feeling of, 
yeah, being being afraid. But at the same time, I think the fear is manageable because the cognitive side of my brain is like dissecting what's making me feel afraid, like what's happening on the screen. You know, it's like a whole internal, external, existential thing happening. So do you still, so people who usually, I don't, uh, like people who like horror, do you watch it? the same way as people who are not so much into horror like do you still like like hug a pillow or hide your face or, or do you can you no, do you just watch it like i just cold? watch it <laughs> oh, wow. i mean if there's like scare jumps you know where yeah. like something pops out like you yeah. have like a, a physical body reaction like Ooh. even you saying the word pop out i like jumped a bit <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but i love it i i there are so you know it's it sounds very like you know 1995 goth of me but like i just you know like i i love that feeling of like being alive you know Mm -hmm. like sometimes you just have to feel really scared to feel alive you know so i'm gonna say something and it might be completely out of bounds and don't be people pleasing tell me to shut the fuck up or go away and we can edit it out if it's completely stupid Uh, or ridiculous sorry it was said but um, it's just because it's striking that you said you were around four and five when uh, this guy shouted liquid man after you is there any chance or that it's a fear that happened around that same time of something and you couldn't maybe you couldn't place it or Mm. there was like a projection happening that it became the liquid man and these scary things that were sort of controlled within like a screen or it can be explained like then your mother said like this is all special effects and then it's like a a horrifying terrible thing but you you, you're alive there was like a resolution or something like a way to yeah you could end eventually you could turn it off yeah yeah that's really interesting you know if comedy ever doesn't work out for you (laughs) definitely move into therapy (laughs) nice reflection yeah. Um, <laughs> no. yeah no I I mean that's a really good thought I've never had that before um, I know it from um, well it's I think I thought about it because of the way I think there was an article some, at some point about why a lot of women uh, are into serial killers and it is that uh, inherent fear of men or you know yeah. um, being attacked and kidnapped and all those things which is just like a bigger risk for 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 women anyways so it's us being fascinated with serial killers is our way of going right i need to hear all these gore stories because you know what we have outlive our fear in some way for sure it's it's the i think it's the very interesting connection between horrible things yep that we kind of become obsessed with in a way yeah but then again, it also makes sense um, when you say you're interested in like the pedof- uh, pedophile. Yeah, mind. totally. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think I've always. I think I've always found some connection between that sort of thing, but I haven't really like delved into why that might be. Like you were saying with females being interested in serial killers and stuff, I'm sure there's something to do with it like that. Um, but yeah, it's like just tends to be like the more kind of fucked up and gruesome something is the more i'm interested in it it's a very like morbid curiosity um but yeah i maybe i'll do some reading about that and <laughs> so when you said you wanted to kill a pedophile which is a <laughs> sentence i didn't know how much i was gonna love saying maybe i'll add that to my bio oh my god yes <laughs> i don't think anyone would mind that <laughs> 
how is it does that sound from anger then do you have a lot of anger um or is it a redemption no. thing or it's probably that it's probably that it's one of the only things I could feel really angry about. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of the opposite. Could as in uh, able to or could as in allowed to? Um, a little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> well, I, I, I think of myself as being like a fairly easygoing person, like most of the time. Um, which is interesting because like with my therapist, I've been kind of unpacking the fact that am I an easygoing person? Because it's always just easier to not put other people out. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. But um, yeah, just when I think about things like, you know, when you asked me the question of like how I could, why I'd see myself being in prison, it's just like someone who does something to end up in prison is usually seems to be an anger based crime. And I, don't feel particularly angry about a lot of things but like if I were to be angry about something it would probably be that like you know when you talk about like people in the prison system and stuff like who you know maybe don't deserve to be there or whatever like my mind is always like well there's one category that do deserve to be there Mm -hmm. you know oh yeah um so I don't know I guess that's just where my train of thought went do you ever because I find uh pedophiles it's a very interesting thing because there's also the whole section of non-offending pedophiles, mm-hmm. you know, people actively not doing anything, trying to stay exactly. away from all of these things. Um, so do you, do you look at it from, is it the, the horror part of your brain that's where it's like a goal thing and it's a horrible thing you want to drill into or do you look at it from a trying to understand it kind of point of view? Um, Again, it's like probably both. I don't think it's a cut and dry. Like I think the manifestation of it on screen is like a interested in technically how it came about, mm-hmm. but always the stories behind those things I'm always interested in, you know. Like like for instance, if I watched a movie about a serial killer, I would enjoy how that movie was made and how mm-hmm. they kind of portrayed the person blah blah blah. But then I'd also like read a bio about them and you know, I'd want to understand like the inner workings behind that. So I guess I guess it's, you know, it's that I'm interested in these sorts of things, but then I also really love film and special effects and the two just interlap, like intercross a lot of the time for me. So what's your favorite horror piece or documentary or mm-hmm. favorite thing to watch? Or was there a specific one that like that really got you? Um, it depends. Like there's all different sorts of horror for me. Like I love body horror, like where, you know, it's like a lot of, a lot of gore, Basically, yeah. I like that sort of stuff. And that goes, it's gorgeous, like guts everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, not, I'm not really sure it what the definition have to be is. Everywhere, it can be oh, contained. Okay. Contained guts, contained guts. But then I also like really like campy 70s style stuff. Like there's, um, there's a horror series called Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Which is, you know, set at like a summer camp in the 70s. And it's very like, it's, it's campy. And it's at camp. <laughs> but, you know, it's um, a lot of, like, cheesy special effects and stuff that's not necessarily meant to look real, but it still creates, like, a visceral reaction. And, you know, it just depends on, like, what sort of mood I'm in. I really like Rob Zombie stuff, like House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects and sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love a good, like, road trip 
horror, you know, where like the car breaks down and then something bad happens. And <laughs> you've seen the, it's an Australian one I really liked. I think it was Australian. Wolf Creek. Yes, that's the yeah. one. That was one of my favorite ones. Yeah, I'd like to see the statistics about um road trips in the outback after that movie came out. <laughs> Shit, yeah, fuck me. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was sold as if it was a real story. Yeah, I don't even want to know if it was or wasn't. Um, are there a lot of horror films with fat people in them? Mm. Have you ever seen? Have you ever? Sometimes they're one of the supporting characters that gets killed first. <laughs> they're also the butt of the joke. Like they get killed because they can't run away fast oh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what I'm thinking is, I don't know what I'm thinking. I was just, I just wondered if there was any sort of connection, anything yeah. at all between. Cause I remember my, one of my opinions and one of my, um, stances on porn changed in a weird way changed when I started watching porn where there were fat people in it there was something like I don't know but something changed because all of a sudden like I could see myself represented in a certain situation uh-huh. and I just look at it differently I'm not even, not even necessarily better or worse but there was a there had been a disconnect before because it was a yeah. universe where I wasn't part of it of course so I was more of an observer than someone this could potentially happen to totally yeah that makes it yeah a weird situation and i was just wondering if there was a i don't know if there was a part of if you feel like you it's a universe in which you're represented Mm. or if it would change it if it wasn't in a a stereotypical haha funny fat person Mm -hmm. dying kind Mm -hmm. of way maybe i'm not sure um i think that's a really good question I, I I don't know if it definitely comes down to um, like if being physically relatable um, but I guess I don't know I guess there's just something there in the whole mm, good not, ne- not not as cliche as like good versus evil but you know I mm-hmm. guess just uh, um, there's going to be like the sto- like traditional story arcs in a horror story tend to follow certain narratives and so when you sit down to a horror movie you're kind of expecting it to go a certain way and so I think there's something there like when a horror movie surprises me that gets a big tick on my list so I guess maybe it's something about yeah that traditional narrative of something going a certain way and then getting rejected in the process or I'm yeah. not sure maybe yeah but definitely not you as... like knowing what's about what's gonna happen yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know you make sorry I'm so interested you're making in all of me want to like analyze my own horror obsession more so thank you I think it's really interesting I think it's I think it's good like I think it's a I think it's fascinating and amazing how the brain finds a way to deal it's what dreams does essentially true like you can ignore things for so long like yeah. oh, i'm fine and then you'll <laughs> yeah. have that fucking dream yes. you're like oh, you made me do it you make Serious. me realize this thing yeah do you have dreams that are because you mentioned dream you wanted to do a dream journal oh vivid dreams oh yeah i have really vivid dreams mm-hmm. yeah but it's funny but like the 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 level of vividness is that a word the level know. of vividness it's not my first language <laughs> oh yeah I use my language pass on this one <laughs> um yeah like how how vivid my dreams are at a certain stage in my life is a pretty good indicator of where my um 
headspace is up. Yeah? Yeah. So was there a change when you started therapy? Definitely. Yeah? Yeah. I dream a lot more in one night now, but I don't remember them. Oh. Yeah, whereas I used to only have, like, maybe one or two dreams a night, but I could always remember them very clearly. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Were they scary? Was that was there any horror in your mm, dreams? Sometimes. Sometimes I'd have that, like, something's chasing me and I'm trying to get my finger, my phone out, but my fingers are all like nubbins and I can't, you know, pound the keyboard kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, not, yeah, nothing, nothing too, too out there. I'm going to stop trying to rub into your brain now. I'm way too obsessed with this. I could talk forever about trying to make sense of you. It's probably irresponsible in a way for me to do this. Um, so, I'll ask you the last question that I always ask. Okay. Um, Is it a question that you once asked NSYNC, the Spice Girls, or Hanson? Get out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I wish I had, because it's a good question. As, as, I think I've asked it in every single episode of this podcast so far. And um, I really should have done my homework. No, no, you, no, 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 you shouldn't, because okay. even people who know about it forget to think about the answer, so it's fine. You shouldn't have prepared for this. But as a listener once said, uh, or recently said, it's remarkable how Sophie can continue to fuck up this question, <laughs> even though she's asked it so many times. <laughs> so I've done it maybe 90-something times, still don't know how to say it. Anyways, the question is this. Okay. Um, you're in the delivery room, and you're holding yourself as a baby. So you right now are holding you as a teeny tiny baby. Mm -hmm. So tiny Kobe is crying and screaming mm -hmm. because there's lights and sounds everywhere and it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. She was just in the womb where everything was safe and warm and nice and now everything's scary. And you know, you know the next, however old you are, how many years of her life, it's going to be full of lights and sounds, but it won't be lights and sounds. It'll be horrendous things happening in childhood and it'll be fat phobia it'll be what she will eventually subject herself to in terms of horror and gore and so you know that this is going to be a thing that's going to continue to happen to her and she's crying and she's scared but you can say something to her you can't change the future at all you can't do anything it'll everything will happen the way it will but you can say something that might make her less scared about the process if that is what you want to do you might just want to scare her a bit <laughs> What do you, what will you say to teeny tiny baby Kobe? Um, I guess I would probably tell her that she's going to fuck up a lot, but that in fucking up, she hasn't fucked up because as cliche as it sounds like everything kind of happens for a reason and you know the path is winding and there's going to be forks in the road and strange pit stops that you can't account for but at the end of the day like if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other it's it's gonna work out you know and yeah that's really that's probably the eternal optimist in me but I think yeah that's something I'm still trying to remind myself every day <laughs> yeah I was about to say you still need to be yeah exactly still this yeah so I guess just keep keep on keeping on yeah thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for having me it's where can pleasure. people find your work use the stuff you do uh, you. yeah so my blog is called horror kitsch bitch 
which might have given you an indicator as to my horror love. I'm on Instagram, Kobe underscore J-A-E. And uh, my plus size clothing line, which will be coming out in the middle of the year, is at cuttingshapes.club. Will it uh, ship internationally? Yes, girl. <gasps> definitely. Yes. And I'm trying to work out a way where it can be like free shipping worldwide as well. Oh, my God. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, because oh shipping, being on this big island, Convict Island, bloody shipping costs a fortune to get anything here. So I know the hurt. Thank um, you so much. Thank you so much, Sophie. Thank you so much for listening. That was Kobe J. Uh, do as you usually do and find the guests, find Kobe on social media and thank her for doing the podcast. That means the world to me that you do that. That makes that makes it makes me look really good that you are all nice people. So go and thank her for opening up like that. She's um, uh, yeah. I think thank you was. I don't think I've ever felt thank you that much <laughs> if that even makes sense so you've been listening for quite a while so i'll make this very very quick uh thank you to everyone supporting the podcast uh, you can go to madeofhumanpodcast.com to figure out how you can support the podcast the people who support it who have a very very special place in my heart are the people who are friends of the podcast which happens by going to patreon.com and supporting the podcast financially you can look at details on how to do that on patreon.com forward slash mopod m-o-h-p-o-d if you give more than $5 per episode, uh, I will shout out your name at the end of the episode, which is what's about to happen now. Um, so you become one of the people whose names I will never forget. I will probably be able to meet someone in 20 years and they'll be like, hi, uh, I'm uh, Robert Lee Can. And I'll be like, Robert Lee Can, I've said your name a lot. <laughs> so um, yeah, so those people are the following. Thank you so much too. Kathy Draxelbauer, Robert Knowles, Eve Wingrith, Marnie Biles, Phil Vabalis, Katrina Ellingson, Rachel Furley, Zoe Cumberland, George Pearson, Marbles Lost, Daniel Rowley, Ronya Ronya, Robert Lee Can, Phil Sumner, uh, Kat Posse, Kat Posse, Nancy Gristel, Ragdoll, Queen T, Nina Collingwood, Kimaya Overall, Jessica, Sheena Robinson, George Mk, Jane Mahoney, Manson Mir, Hannah Keel, Helena Thomas, Joe C, Lily, Rob Crosson, Harry Minnett, Cecil Fjeltun, uh, Rachel Hemsley, Mari Fraser, Lucy, Eileen Olofsson, Susie Tyner, Rachel Craftman, Kirsten Davison, Purdy, Purdy Patterson, Steph Reem, Ruth Harvey, Katie Hatfield, Robin Kappel, Karen Threthaway, Russell Hughes, Ida Sugar Larsen, Inga Ellingson, Caleb Melchior, Dr. Bodocycle, Emma Chan, Kathy Beveridge, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo Nascimento, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Grace Suter, Kat Piller, Harold Van Dyke, Eleanor, Sarah Ferreira, Ike Sith, and Daniel Reifersheet. <sighs> Thank you so much to you guys. Um, just so you know, I am recording this way before you listen to it. So if you signed up between now and when you listen to the episode, uh, that's why I haven't said your name. But uh, I will say it eventually, so just hang in there. Uh, I want to thank Sarah Garvey for producing this episode, to Bailey Leonard for writing and recording the jingle, to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo, and to the Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.